That's right. It is Mind Matters. We have Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist from IMU with us. Good morning, Doc. How are you feeling? Good. I'm good, JD. Nice. Thanks for having me. I like to say that you are the real Dr. Philip, <laughs> so that everyone knows. But, um, you know, earlier today, we've had some inspirational women come in to chat with us about how they had a career break and they came back into the workforce a few yep. years later. Let's talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Like, really, what do women who wish to go back to the industry after a long career break, what do they face? Well, actually going from one reality to another does pose challenges. Mm. And some of these can include worry, shame, loss of confidence. The most common reason for a career break is childbirth and right, right. and motherhood. Yeah. And sometimes the fear and anxiety is not just about getting back to work, but about the child being in the hands of someone else, a caregiver, you know. Right. Maybe your mother-in-law. Right. So, yeah, another fear is also <laughs> being away from work, leading to rusty or diminished work skills. Mm. You know, and if they've been away for a while, then processors, technology, all of that might have changed. Right. And so, you know, that sometimes can create what's known as a skill deterioration okay. theory. Yeah. Studies have actually shown that 80% of mothers who, you know, are returning to work face problems mainly in the area of balancing time between childcare and work. Right. Feeling guilty about leaving their child. And also financial challenges because, you know, childcare is not cheap. And also feeling excluded by colleagues and eventually missing out on promotions as well. Right. So, I mean, for, for women who are eager to go back into the workforce because yep. they felt like they're lagging behind, right? Mm. Uh, what can they do when they want to go back to the industry? What can they do to prepare themselves mentally? Yeah. So actually, there are many milestones after a baby comes about. Right. Or, you know, when you have an illness and you stay away from work for a mm. while. <clears throat> but one important milestone is going back to work. Right. And some of the ways to prepare yourself is, you know, first come clean with your career gap. Own it, accept it, and be transparent about it. Because, you know, when you have that gap in your CV and people are wondering, look, what happened? happened?" And you don't want to actually express and talk about it, then, you know, it gives a little bit of suspicion to people as well. Okay. And then, you know, maybe make that period when you were away sound positive as well. You know, being with an elderly parent who has some medical problems can actually reflect onto an employer your other skills that will be very valuable in, you know, back at work as well. Yeah, because you've got soft skills, empathy, stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's got to be a positive experience from your career break that you need to express as Mm. well. I think the other thing is also rebuilding your network, reconnecting with people in the industry, uh, especially people who can support you and maybe teach you, Mm. you know, to get back on your ropes. Because people might have moved companies or they have gone up even higher. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then appearance matters. So, you know, you got to start grooming and looking good. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the way you look will already beam confidence for others and for yourself as well. And of course, most likely technologies, practices would change. Update yourself, I think, before re-entry. It's good when you take a career break to actually spend some time to keep abreast of things as well. Right. Very, yeah. very interesting. It's actually, actually, you know, it's not just for women. I think anybody who's taken a career break want yeah. to get back in. It's really, really great to have these thoughts. More on helping those on a career break get back into the market and getting our mental state ready for the rigors of the rat race with Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist from IMU on My Matters Today. Right now, though, here is Lenka, the show on Light. And you're back here with JD on the Light Breakfast. On My Matters Today, once again, we have Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist 
from IMU with us to try and tackle those tough questions. And earlier today, we had an inspirational woman come in, had a career break. Now she's back in. She's stronger than ever. She's feeling great. But not every everyone feels that way. Not just women. Not everyone is feeling confident getting back into the market, right? So what stops someone who has left the workforce for such a long time go back into the workforce? Well, I think they, there are many different factors, and some of them are related to the duration of the career break. Mm. The longer your career break, the harder it is to move from one reality to another, right. if you like. And then there are logistic barriers, and of course, personal and professional factors. So if you look at the you know, the time issue, it's good to maybe, when you do a career break, to keep in touch with work, right. and keep in touch with colleagues, and do things that may even... You know, resemble work in some way. Ah, right. You know, for example, you want to maybe volunteer in your childcare. Right. Uh, so you know, you're actually having contact with your child, but you're also doing something that's similar to work. Right. So you're not completely rusty. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is logistics. I mean, logistic barriers include you know childcare and where. You know, and how far away is your child from your workplace? You know, picking them up and trying right. to organize time. Yeah, and, yeah, that's a, that, that's, this scheduling thing can literally be a nightmare. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Especially if you have a meeting at 5 o'clock and your, you know, child care closes yes. at 6. And yeah, then you so, can focus. Yeah. And, of course, personal can be loss of touch with colleagues and friends. And, you know, it can be if you're recovering from an illness and that's the reason why you took a career break. Mm. It You know, so you will need all those supports before getting back into that as well. Right. And, of course, professional can be your skills. And so it's good to keep in touch and update yourself, you know, on the skills that are required for your work right. as well. Studies in developed countries have shown that 64% of women and 29% of men have taken a career break but for women the main reason is childbirth and for men it's you know things like travel and retraining mm. there's a lot of stigma when they come back right and so trying to you know overcome the stigma is i think essential and it's important for all employers and other employees and colleagues to know as well right. one is maybe trying and reduce the career break because once it prolongs, it's hard to give a reason. Right. You know, yeah. So I think that's, you know, it's more palatable to employers that if it's within a certain time frame. Right, right. Um, and then be transparent and honest about your career break and identify the positives that is done for you or your family. And there are some companies that actually encourage returnees to, you know, use training programs, mm. individual support uh, systems. I think we all need a mindset change here. You right. know, it's that, you know, sometimes in our career, we need to actually focus on other things in our lives. And it doesn't mean that we've lost all those skills and that we have to be shunned and, you know, embarrassed. Right. And we we need to, we deserve to be treated the same way as before we left right. on that career break yeah. as well. And we deserve a break sometimes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You need, you need that sabbatical. Don't take a 10 year break, but maybe a year, two years. Yeah. Time, right? Yeah, I exactly. like that. Thank you so much for your thoughts on that. Next up, decriminalization of drug addicts. How would the treatment for these addicts work? Uh, we get the good doctor's thoughts on that next. I'm light. It's JD on the light breakfast covering for Shaz for this week. And it's Mind Matters today. We have Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist from IMU with us. Um, recently, there was an article out that said that the whole ministry has decided on decriminalizing drug addicts. Number one, what does that mean? We're trying to figure that out. But how does decriminalization help psychiatrists treat drug addicts? Well, 
Actually, decriminalization is not new. It's been, Malaysia is one of the few countries that actually makes drug use a crime. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, it is it is a crime to deal with drugs, to sell and to produce or manufacture. Right, and I think we all agree that that is yeah, a crime. Yeah, that, that's a definite crime. But yeah. uh, use of drugs, you know, you don't use the penal system. Yeah. <clears throat> By punishing someone who's using drugs, they don't get better. Yeah. And we've seen that for years since the drug laws of Malaysia were, you know, introduced. We've used penalties and we've used punishment. Right. And it hasn't reduced drug use in the country. It's made it worse in some cases. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. The levels have actually just increased over the years. So decriminalizing will actually help to make drug use a medical problem. Right. Which it rightly is. Yeah. But of course, it's got other components. It's got a social component. It's got a moral component. Right. So, you know, there are... You know other areas that need to be addressed when people have a drug use problem. Yeah. But the the treatment that actually helps most people with drug use problem is the medical approach. Right. And that's where you can get about 40-50% of people abstaining, staying away from drugs and being stable. Now, doing this decriminalizing, I mean, once they make it a law, yeah. would this really really help drug addicts like rehabilitate though? Yeah, it's a start. It's the start. But I think it's also, you know, there are a lot of other challenges that need to be, you know, addressed as well. Mm-hmm. One is setting up resources. So it can't be addressed only by the 350 to 400 psychiatrists in the country because right. the problem is actually huge. Yeah. And so it's a public health problem. We need resources, human resources. We need, you know, to train doctors and healthcare professionals. Yeah. We need, you know, maybe even infrastructure uh, sort of, you know, uh, treatment. I mean, resources as well. I used to work in Australia where they have drug and alcohol units in every general hospital. Wow. They have experts in these units. They run detox. They run relapse prevention programs. And they train the primary care doctors and healthcare professionals who are out in the community. Right. So, yeah, I I think this is the first big step. Yeah. But it needs to be also, you know... It's a long uh, road. Yeah, it's a long road and it needs to be yeah. together with a lot of other changes But I think well. with what... I mean, with new Malaysia and everything, right? I think this is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Right? It's a paradigm shift mentally for those... I mean, in your world, not just from the addict side of things. Yeah. I think everybody in the medical fraternity, also, it's a paradigm shift for them as well. Yep, right? absolutely. I mean, the few addiction medicine specialists in Malaysia, we are really, really happy with this progress. Yeah. And we're really looking forward to making a big impact right. and change as so we hopefully go. this actually happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Now, moving on, relationships, marriages, and that compatibility test that's been brought up recently. We talk about that next on Light. And we're back on Mind Matters today. We have Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist from IMU with us. And uh, I got to get your thoughts on this, Doc, <laughs> because yep. um, recently there was um, an article that said, uh, one of our deputy ministers, Hannah Yeo, she really wanted to push for this uh, compatibility test to reduce the divorce rate. Yeah. It's not compulsory, yep. but she's encouraging people to do it okay, mm. b- before they get married, yeah. especially for the younger ones. How does this help a psychiatrist determine the compatibility of a couple? Well, I mean, this is usually a psychology thing and not yeah. a psychiatry thing. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's important to also understand that you know, marriage, we, we need to prepare ourselves adequately. Uh, it's a union of two different people. And so if there are things that are compatible, it actually helps aid the marriage become stronger as well. Right, right. And, you know, doing a test, uh, I mean, as long as it's not mandatory, 
is, I think, a useful way because we're actually seeing more and more divorces now. We're actually seeing people wanting to get married less as well. So, you know, they don't feel reassured getting into a relationship. And so sometimes when we understand our partner much better before marriage, it helps us know, okay, where are the difficult, you know, parts and areas that we need to negotiate, we need to compromise, we need to work on. So I I would say that it is something that's useful, and I think uh, as long as it's not mandatory, it will be yeah. you know something that people can turn to because our divorce rates are actually you know on the rise. Yeah, and I think it was uh, mentioned in Devan Rakia that uh, married couples between thirty and thirty four suffer the highest rates of divorce. Now that's a period when you know maybe young children are there. Yeah, and the impact is humongous. You know, yeah. on children growing up in where you know the family's broken or or there's feuding parents yeah. and you know so that impact can be lifelong yeah and i think you know whatever ways there are to ensure that you get into a union first you yeah. know that will ensure that, you know that you stay happy and good i i think it's it's important to you know consider that as well nice but this personality test compatibility yeah. test whatever yeah. you want to call it it's a quiz yeah what as 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 a medical professional, as yeah. a psychiatrist, when you look at these, what are the outcomes that you look out for that help you with your therapy? Do you always look at the the negatives and then just focus on those and work on this? Your marriage will be great, yeah. or do you even like focus on the positives? And you guys are really good with this. What do you look out for? No, so it's got to be a combination. You need to be able to you know enhance and harness the positives mm. make that your buffers for your relationship right. and you know and and make sure it, it's not going to be neglected and then work on the negatives and take one at a time and identify which you know needs to be addressed right uh, i think again you know th- there are couples who never done a compatibility test yeah, yeah. And, and you know they may be completely different in you know personality types yes. and so it depends. It, it really depends on many different factors. But if you are, you know, uncomfortable or you want to maybe, you know, sort of uh, be completely sure about your relationship, mm-hmm. this is just an added test. Right. Coming up, we try to tackle a sensitive subject of depression and why Gen Z is experiencing, uh, is experiencing it more than others. That's next on My Matters Online. It's Mind Matters today, and we have Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist from IMU with us today. And right now, let's tackle the very, very sensitive topic of depression, because in a Business Insider article recently, there was a study by the CDC in the U.S. about um, depression being on the rise among Gen Z, and or post-millennials, you right. can call them that. And teen girls are apparently experiencing the worst of it so as you grow older you think what problems could the youngsters have right but there's a lot going on in their lives right oh yeah so what are the effects of depression among gen z well you see the thing is we've been actually noticing an increase in depression among young people now right we used to have the peak of depression between the ages of 30 to 50 but now we see a bigger peak in adolescence and early adulthood right um, you know, one of the big reasons for that is because it's a huge transition from moving from being, you know, a teenager to being an adult. Right. And I think the other thing is, you know, with the Gen Z, there's that whole social media Correct. influence. Yes. Uh, you know, you've got your gadgets. So their lives become, you know, a bit more 
sort of uh, lonely. Yeah. They don't have much social contact yeah. and, you know, outdoor. It's strange, isn't it, how the world is smaller. Yeah. You're more connected, yet you're less connected. Less connected, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, social media is fine, uh, but you need to know how to build a balance in mm. that because physical, real physical contact and, you know, meeting people yeah. and all that uh, social connectedness is so essential for our own mental health. Right. Uh, and I think the other thing is there's this, you know, huge, you know, need to want to be perfect. And perfectionism is spreading like wildfire among young people. Because all these influencers and whatever. Well, yeah, you're comparing yourself with everyone else. Yeah. You know, this person's doing that and yeah. he's got 10 grades, I mean, 10 A's. Yeah. And, and then your parents on the other side saying, well, look, you're our only child. And, yeah. you know, the, everyone else, the extended family, everyone looks to you. Right, to, right, yeah. And you got to right the wrongs that the previous generations have done, yeah. which is ridiculous. And you can't even just let your shoes off and do something right. relaxing. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we're putting too much pressure on them, the schools, the systems, the parents, and even themselves. And you know, when you're in that big pressure cooker yeah. and it explodes, then things like depression, suicide, anxiety, yeah. drug and alcohol use just goes out of whack. It's very... Unnerving to hear that. Dr. Philip George, psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist from IMU, is here with us on My Matters Today. Thank you so much for your candid thoughts, being very open about things, and uh, I I feel very enlightened about it. Oh, good. Thank you very much, Doc. <laughs> Thank and, uh, you. Thank we'll see you, you again very, very soon.